The following presentation is from Mountain Park Community Church in Phoenix, Arizona. For more information about Mountain Park, along with additional audio and video teachings, visit mountainpark.org. Good morning, Mountain Park. Oh, that's nice. Welcome from you all. My name's Alan. So glad that you're here. Hey, have you ever uh, been in a... A, a meeting, a group, you're getting started, you're trying to get to know a, a group of other people, and they start off by saying, why don't you tell something uh, about yourself that no one else knows? You ever kind of had that? It's a good, it's called an icebreaker, it's a way of kind of learning about each other. Now the logic of that, however, is that you can only do that so many times, because once you tell people something that nobody else knows, then they know it, and that one's not going to work next time. There's only so many of those things that you may, that you may have. Uh, but for instance, uh, is there anybody in the room who can say the alphabet backwards? Anybody? Anybody who can say the alphabet? Now I know we all can do it. We can Z. A, B, C, D, E, F, G, Y, A, B, C, D, E, F. But I mean, actually say it backwards, anyone? Anyone? You can over here? Are, are you interested in sharing? You don't have to. You totally don't have to. This is a safe place to visit. So you can say, just trust me, I'm awesome, and I would, I would go with that. But if you'd like, we, we can hear from you. Are you interested? Yes or no? No, thank you. Okay. Give her a hand for at least thinking about it. Okay. My grandma uh, took care of me whenever I was sick, and I think I spent a fair amount of time with her, uh, and this was at a time before there were video games, and I wasn't interested in her soap operas, so she taught me how to say the alphabet backwards. Z-Y-X-W-V-U-T-S-R-Q-P-O-N-M-L-K-J-I-H-G-F-E-D-C-B-A. Thank you. Thank you very much. Thank you very much. That's one of those skills that uh, I never thought I'd use until, uh, you know, 35 years later, but... Uh, here we are, here we are. There's, there's something unique about each and every one of us. You are unique. There's some skill, some thing, some part of your wiring that is wonderfully unique to you because that's the way God has made you. Sometimes we don't see our uniqueness because we're so familiar with it. We almost uh, sometimes just think it's normal, whereas other people might see its, might see its uniqueness. Let me give you one more example about, about myself. I can't stand, can't stand wet skin or wet glass. I can't stand it. I can't touch wet skin or wet glass. So you, you, as you can imagine, that makes washing your hands a little tricky. Uh, I'm, I'm okay with touching uh, my dry hands, but when I get them under the water, can't touch this. And so I have to get soap on them, and then I can, the soap will work. I can do that. I can do that. But as soon as I start rinsing and the soap starts going away... I have to do this. I can't, can't touch this. Now, I thought that was normal until my wife told me, that's unique, Alan. That's unique. So I realized I'm wonderfully unique in that. Now, I also, for the same reason, it's this thing about, about squeakiness through the tips of my fingers, that if I touch wet glass and there's any movement, it just, I mean, it's like a bolt of lightning going through my body. And so whenever I touch wet glass, I have to hold it really tightly so that there's no movement. My wife of 15 years still believes that that's all just an excuse to get out of washing dishes. It's not. It's real. It's real. We had, last week, we launched into the final stage of this journey we've been taking all year called AD, the year of our Lord. We've been 
talking about what it means to have a real relationship with Jesus. If it's a real relationship, then it will go through stages like human relationships go through stages. So last week we launched into this final stage, which is mission. That if you are a follower of Christ, then you are together with Jesus for a reason. It doesn't end there. It doesn't end with, yes, Jesus is the Lord of my life. That he invites us, calls us into something into a reason, into a part of his mission. Today, we're looking at the fact that you're unique. You have a unique story. You have a unique background. You have unique interests and preferences. So as a result, you and Jesus are together, not just for any old generic reason. You and Jesus are together for a unique reason. God has called you to, to be a part of a, a particular piece of the puzzle. And that's what we're going to take a look at this morning. Would you bow your heads with me as we pray? God, I thank you that you've created us uniquely. It makes life interesting. It makes relationships interesting. Uh, the fact that we are all different, every, every person here in this room, every, um, uh, every background, every way that we, that we look, the whole beauty of it is just part of your creation. You never create a snowflake the same. You never create each, any one of us the same. And so, God, I thank you for that uniqueness, and I pray that uh, you would help us break through uh, thoughts uh, that we are just part of a generic system, that you would help us in these next few moments to understand you have specifically invited us into something unique. Come, speak to our hearts and our, and our minds, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. I want to begin with a little bit of a disclaimer, and that is that this morning's uh, talk is very much targeted towards those who are followers of Christ, those who have decided that uh, Jesus is the Lord of your life. Now, I recognize and celebrate the fact that there are some of you here who have not yet made that decision, and I celebrate the fact that you feel safe, this is a safe place to visit, uh, that this is a place where you can work out on your faith, and you can be asking some of these questions. But again, the assumption this morning, as I'm talking to those who are followers of Christ, if you are seeking or searching, then my hope is that you would be able to find the gospel in what we're talking about today, find the the story of Jesus in what we're talking about here this morning. We're going to be talking about a guy named Paul in the New Testament. And Paul, next to Jesus, is perhaps the most famous person in the Bible story, particularly the New Testament story. He uh, has written almost half of our New Testament. He is a unique guy, and uh, he has very much been a part of the, of the Bible story, and he has changed the world through his beautiful uniqueness. Prior to Paul, the story of God was almost exclusively a story about, Jew, about the Jews, about the Jewish people, God's uh, holy chosen people, the Israelites, the Hebrews. The Old Testament story is almost exclusively about them. Jesus was born of a Jewish, from a Jewish family. Jesus was Jewish. He grew up Jewish. All 12 disciples were Jewish. Paul was Jewish. Paul was a well-educated, highly committed Jewish man who was very committed to the law and to loving God as he understood God. But something incredible and unique happened through his life. And we're going to take a look at, that, at a story that is found in the book of Acts. Turn with, with me, if you will, to Acts chapter 13. The book of Acts is a, 
uh, is a story that uh, in chapter 9, there's an interaction that Paul has with Jesus. So Paul is a devout Jew, and he interacts with this, with this Jesus and realizes in, in Acts chapter 9 that Jesus is the one that the Jews have been waiting for. That the Old Testament story is that one day there'll be a Messiah who comes and sets the people free. And Paul realizes in Acts chapter 9 that Jesus is that Messiah. And it absolutely transforms his life. And what happens is he teams up with the other 12 disciples in an effort to tell Jewish people that Jesus is the one. And that's his whole quest. That's his whole journey. What we find in the book of Acts, which is, uh, which is the first book after the Gospels. So the New Testament begins. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. It's the four Gospels, the versions of the story of Jesus. Then the next book is the book of Acts. And it basically is a summary of all the rest of the New Testament story. And it's mostly a story of Paul. He goes on four missionary journeys. And in Acts chapter 13... It's the beginning of his first missionary journey. They're going to a city called Pisidian Antioch. And in this city, they go to the Jewish temple. They go to the synagogue. And here's where our story picks up. Acts chapter 13. I'm beginning to read in uh, verse 16. Because in the synagogue, they have asked their guests to come and speak and share. Verse 16, standing up, Paul motioned with his hand and said, Men of Israel and you Gentiles who worship God, listen to me. Paul is talking to a group of Jews, you uh, men, uh, men, women of, of Israel, in other words, the Jewish people. The, the difference between Jews and Gentiles is that, is, is that Gentiles, there's everything that is not Jewish. Okay, so there's the Jews and there's the non-Jews. And Gentile just means those who are not Jewish. But it specifically says here that his audience are Gentiles who know God. These are Gentiles who know and understand the story of the Hebrew God. And it goes on in the verses that follow that Paul shares with them the story that they know. I like to refer to it as the whole shebang. It's the story. He sits down and he, he shares with them. He says, he says we, the, we were in slavery in Egypt under Pharaoh. And God set us free from that. And then there was a time of the judges and Paul talks about the judges and he talks about the kings and David and Solomon and this is a part of our history. And through all of this, we've been looking for a Messiah. We've been waiting for a Messiah. And then he says to them, that Messiah has come. Verse 38, after he tells this whole story, he says, therefore, my brothers, I want you to know that through Jesus, the forgiveness of sins is proclaimed to you. Through him, everyone who believes is justified from everything you could not be justified from by the law of Moses. He's, he's summarizing the gospel there. And he's talking about Moses, so obviously he has a Jewish audience. He's talking to people who appreciate and respect the role of Moses in the story. And he's saying Jesus even surpasses Moses in terms of what he can offer in terms of truth and grace and forgiveness. He's the one. And they love his they love it. They love the story here in Acts chapter 13. And they go uh, they they invite Paul and Barnabas to come back. Will you come back next week? Please, please come back next week. 
And they go and invite their friends and gather up uh, their friends. And then the next week, there's an enormous crowd that gathers, that gathers around. Pick up, jump down to verse 44. On the next Sabbath, almost the whole city gathered to hear the word of the Lord. When the Jews saw the crowds, they were filled with jealousy and talked abusively against what Paul was saying. Now, when Paul first got there, he was talking to a Jewish audience. The city of Pisidian Antioch is mostly Gentile. It's mostly not Jewish. So when they're saying almost the whole city came, we're talking about a crowd that is mostly not Jewish. We're talking about a crowd that is mostly Gentile. Some of the Jews are excited about this because they believe, yeah, I think, I think Jesus is the Messiah. But most of the Jews, as we see in verse 45, are not happy with it. They're jealous. They're saying, hey, wait a minute. I have been preaching here for many years and I've never gotten a crowd like this. Who do you think you are, Paul? It's like what happens around here when Beth speaks and everyone says to me, oh, she did so great and you don't need to come back, Alan, and all that. You never say that about you know, all that kind of stuff. They're jealous of what had happened uh, with, with Paul coming to share. They're not happy with Paul and Barnabas coming back. And then the story takes an amazing turn. Acts chapter 13 verse 46 is a hugely significant turning point in God's overall story. Then Paul and Barnabas answered them boldly. We talked last week about being as forceful as a rhino. We had to speak the word of God to you first. Since uh, you is the Jews. We had to speak the word of God to you. We had to let you know this is the Messiah you've been waiting for. But since you reject it and do not consider yourselves worthy of eternal life, we now turn to the Gentiles. The whole story prior to this had, had been all about the Jews. And Paul comes in and says, we now turn to the Gentiles, to the rest of of the world. This is a major shift in the story. A major shift. And who's Paul to make the shift? Who does Paul think he is? It has been a Jewish story for thousands of years. Who does this guy think he is to come in and say, yeah, now the story is going to the Gentiles. Here we go. Missionary journeys two, three, and four. Here we go. We're going after the Gentiles. Boom. Who's Paul? He's a unique man who is together with Christ for a unique reason. And Paul became the messenger to the Gentiles. As a result, we gather here today. Paul had a unique mission. Now I, over my years as, uh, as a pastor and um, trying to... Uh, grow and learn in my faith and uh, in made a number of different efforts in trying to share the gospel with other people. I have learned that there are certain people I connect more naturally with than other people. I have a unique connection with certain kinds of people. Uh, for instance, I am not energized by scientific debates about the accuracy of things mostly in the Old Testament. I'm just not energized. I've had multiple conversations like that. I actually had a minor in physics when I was in college. I have a reasonable appreciation for science. But when people come and say, Alan, I need you to prove to me about the seven literal days in the book of Genesis or about how there could be a flood that could possibly cover the whole earth in the Noah story or Jonah, is it possible that someone could survive in the belly of a whale and all this? 
all these conversations, and I just completely am drained by those conversations. I understand that for some they're very valid and significant, but for me uniquely, and for me specifically, that is a draining conversation for me. (laughs) It's just draining. See, the Bible is not written to be a science book. It's not a science book. It's not to be read the way we read science books or information books now. We don't read Shakespearean poetry the same way that we read lyrics to uh, Keisha's songs. Uh, we don't say, um, to be or not to be, 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 be. <laughs> and we, we, don't, we, don't, we don't go into theaters where they say, um, uh, I am a superstar. We are who we are. These are two genres of poetry, if you will, that are written about 400 years apart from one another. We read them differently. They have a different place. The, the, the scriptures that we read from the Old Testament are thousands of years old. We're not allowed to read them with the same minds that we read our current writings. And so those conversations are just a little bit, a little bit uh, difficult for me. And, and another uh, non-energizing conversation for me is uh, churchy conversations. Churchy conversations, uh, any sentence that starts with, you know, my previous church, we used to da-da-da-da-da. Oh my goodness, that just, I mean, I would rather watch a uh, Meryl uh, Streep movie than have that conversation. I just got to tell you. I, just, I mean, when you're dating someone, you don't say, you know, my previous girlfriend, she used to do da 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 You don't do that. It's not a jealousy thing. It's just, a, I, I appreciate that. That's great. But we're here together. Let's figure this. Let's move forward. Let's think forward together with this. There are certain conversations that are draining for me. A conversation that is not draining, that is incredibly energizing for me, the, the unique kind of piece that, that I feel is part of my calling, I love, whether it's here in this room or in the lobby or in the locker room at, when I play hockey or at, um, uh, at my kid's uh, basketball game or in the park or in the grocery store, the conversation I love is, is to talk with somebody who is not yet a follower of Christ, not yet a believer, but who is genuinely and sincerely interested. That is an incredibly energizing conversation. I love that. I love entering into that and having moments where I say, you know, that's a great question. I don't know. I, have, I, I, I don't have an answer to that either. I love being, being able to say I don't have the answers. I love being able to pour into, you know, from my experience, here's what that looks like. I love when we have a respectful dialogue back and forth. That is a very energizing conversation for me. One that's connected to that, that, that I believe is a part of a, a unique uh, calling or niche for me or something that gets me very excited in terms of sharing the gospel, is that in the United States, many families have wives who come to church, but with husbands who are uh, spiritually not interested. They're just not there yet. That's, that's, a, that's a common thing in American families. And every once in a while, I get to hear a story here at Mountain Park where a woman will say to me, you know, my husband has never come to church before until we started coming to Mountain Park. That's one of my favorite stories. That, I mean, that is way up there for me to say, yes, that I feel is a niche I'm pretty excited to be a part of. I love that kind of story. God has an overall plan. God has an overall uh, uh, plan, as we talked about last week, to make disciples of all nations. He has an overall plan. 
He wishes that none would perish. And under that overall umbrella of a plan, this church has a unique responsibility, has a unique calling. There's an overall plan that God has, and this church isn't going to accomplish the whole plan. This church is a part of one piece of it. Paul was a part of one piece of it, a very large piece of it. He became the messenger of the gospel to the Gentiles. And I have a piece of it, a thin little slice of it, that I feel this is my unique responsibility, my unique calling. The problem is, many who are followers of Christ believe it, it's absolutely right for Paul to have that unique calling. And it's, it's right for Alan to have that unique calling. He's a professional Christian. <laughs> but many conclude that it's not needed for you to have a unique and specific calling in the kingdom of God. You have a unique responsibility in God's overall plan. You have a piece in there. He's inviting you into something unique. Eugene Peterson is a unique guy. He wrote a paraphrase of the entire Bible called The Message. It's not a translation. It's a paraphrase. There's very much interpretation involved in it. But it's an incredible piece of work. Eugene Peterson is brilliant. He's also written a number of other books. And in one of his other books, he says this about uniqueness. He says, 2012 A.D., year of our Lord. And then he says, in the life of faith, each person discovers all the elements of a unique and original adventure. We are prevented from following in one another's footsteps and are called to an incomparable association with Christ. The Bible makes it clear that every time there is a story of faith, it is completely original. God's creative genius is endless. He never, fatigued and unable to maintain the rigors of creativity, resorts to mass-producing copies. You are not just another brick in the wall. Pink Floyd is wrong. <laughs> so when we get to that place where we start to feel like we are just a mass-produced copy, and we're just going through life, and we're just... Ching, we're just doing our thing. We are just a nobody, a brick and a wall. Why would it matter whether I do well with my days or I don't do well with my days? Then we check out of life. We're missing out on what God is inviting us into. And we become, for a matter of speaking, comfortably numb. Sorry, another Pink Floyd reference there. You have a unique calling. You have a unique responsibility in God's overall plan. God has an overall umbrella, and you have a piece of it. Do you believe that? Do you believe that? Or do you believe you're just part of a generic, mass-produced copy? If you do believe that, do you know what that calling is? And are you going after it with all you have? I want to relook at the story in Acts chapter 13 because there are a few things in there that I think will help us understand what this calling might be. So let's go back there. I want to relook at the entire story. Go back to the beginning of the story in verse 15. Acts 13:15. After the reading from the law and the prophets 
the synagogue rulers sent word to them, this is Paul and Barnabas, saying, Brothers, if you have a message of encouragement for the people, please speak. A message of encouragement. Encouragement is a powerful word. Let me just tell you, if you're seeking what your unique calling is in God's overall kingdom, I am very confident this morning to say your calling is not to fix as many people as you can. Your calling is not to team up with Christ to evaluate how other people are doing and then judge them. We call this a safe place to visit because this is a place where we are all broken. We are all working on our faith. None of us have it all figured out here. And so hopefully that judgment is, is not how we interact with one another. Encouragement is a powerful, powerful tool in the hands of a believer. For those of you who are parents or teachers, just think about the difference in impact on your kid when we encourage them versus critique them. Just think about how you would respond differently if your boss or somebody who's trying to teach or coach you uh, encourages you rather than critiques you. Some of us need to turn down the message of critique and turn up the message of encouragement. It's a powerful tool. This last Friday, I coached my son's basketball team. Uh, the regular coach was not available for this past weekend, so I, I'm the kind of assistant guy, so I jumped in and, and coached the team on Friday. And, uh, I mean, I'm, I'm just trying to be humble here, but I, I was awesome. I, I mean, I... <laughs> I mean, really, I was great. And anyway, it was a lot of fun. I really kind of enjoyed it. And uh, we lost, but it was a fun game. And later that night, I got home, and a, a mom of one of the kids sent me a long, scathing email, frustrated with how her son didn't get to play as much as the other kids, and as much as, as, much as my son. And so I emailed her, and I said... Well, you're very welcome. Uh, I um, uh, was happy to help and fill in tonight. No, I didn't email that. Uh, that's one of those emails where, you know, there's always an email we wish we would send and then the email we actually send. And then too often we write the email that we wish we would send and then accidentally send it and then it's a whole other story. But I didn't send that email. I profusely apologized. And I, I said, I, I am uh, absolutely sorry that your son is hurt. I mean, the last thing I want to do is hurt the little heart of a nine-year-old boy. Okay, so I mean, that, I'm absolutely sorry for all that. But it just, it just occurred to me uh, uh, that night, it, just, it was just so deflating for me. I mean, where's the encouragement? Why do we have such a hard time when we're interacting with, with one another on good days or on bad days when pouring a message of encouragement into that? Why is that so hard for us sometimes? And encouragement is, is not just empty flattery. It's not just, you're awesome, you're awesome, you're awesome, you're awesome, you're awesome, you're awesome, you're awesome. Flattery is different than encouragement. Flattery typically is about me. Flattery, when I give flattery, it's about me and what I can get out of it. Because I flatter, and then there's some re response that's going to happen to me. Encouragement is not about me, it's about you. Encouragement is about me trying to lift you up. To encourage is to bring heart, encourage, to pour into the heart of somebody else. So they say, brothers, if you have a message of encouragement for the people, please speak. They say to him, please speak. 
We're inviting you to come share with us. We're inviting you to speak to us. This is why I'm not a fan of street corner preaching. Because people rarely walk by a street corner preacher and say, please speak. That's not typically the interaction there. People say, please speak to you when you've earned the right to speak into their lives. For whatever reason, they want to hear from you. They want to hear from you is way different than them being forced to hear from you. So when we, we, we love on people, we have a relationship with people, we genuinely care about people, we get to know people so that they can see Christ in us, not just as a sticker on the back of our car, which usually gives a negative message when most of you are driving, but, in, but instead of that, it's, they see actually Christ in us, which which leads to the opportunities where people are going to say to you, people that you're in a relationship are going to say to you, please speak. I'm going through a rough time. There's something I don't understand. My uh, uh, aunt has cancer. And you seem to have some understanding of a higher power, of a God, of an eternity. Please speak. Right now, I want to hear from you. And then, as I said before, Paul goes into the story. He tells the story. He walks it through. The, 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 here's what happened way in the Old Testament. Here's what happened. Here's where Jesus fits into this whole thing. And so my question for you is that if someone says, please speak to you in whatever place that might be, in your neighborhood, in your work, whatever, are you ready to tell them the story? Are you ready to tell them the story in your own words of Jesus? Read through Acts chapter 13 and see Paul's version of the story. What's your version of the story? Can you share it beyond saying, Jesus died for your sins? Well, what does that mean? I don't know. Why did he have to die? I don't know. Ask the pastor. I mean, do you, do you have a sense of the story? Can you tell the story? Because you have an opportunity and and uh, responsibility to know that story. What is the story? Do you know your own story? If somebody was visiting from Germany and uh, actually moved to Phoenix, somebody from Germany moves to Phoenix, and they want to have an understanding of American football, my guess is that most people in the room would be able to explain American football to them. Now, you may not know all the intricacies and all the rules and what happens in overtime and what if they score first and the others score first and what are the positions and defensive line and, and all these uh, terminologies and all that. You may not know all the intricacies, but you know more than just saying you've got to try to get a first down. Most of you know that. You'd be able to explain it. You're laughing at me. But you'd be able to explain this. Because I know. I know a lot about football. I mean, there's, there's three downs. Um, it's 110 meters uh, is the, isn't that right, Greg? Okay, Canadian football. Okay, so, but if somebody from Germany wanted to understand American football, you'd be able to explain it to them. You'd be able to walk that through. But with regard to the story of God, I know you don't have all the answers. I know you don't know all the intricacies and, and explaining why does it say this in the Old Testament. That seems inconsistent with what Jesus says elsewhere. And so there's a whole lot of questions that you don't have answers. In fact, if you feel like you can explain everything away, then you've got a whole other set of problems. Because it's good to be honest to say, yeah, I don't understand at all. But what version of the story do you have? 
If the German says, please speak about American football, you would be ready. If the German says, please speak about the gospel, would you be ready? Would you be ready to share? What would you say? What do you say? One final thing I want to uh, draw from this story is at the very end, um, I want to read verse 45 again. When the Jews saw the crowds, they were filled with jealousy and talked abusively against what Paul was saying. The Jews didn't like Paul. They didn't like what he was saying. They didn't agree with him. They didn't like his presence. They were jealous of him. Whatever the thing was going on, the Jews were not connecting with Paul. The Gentiles, however, loved what he had to say. And they were crowding around. They wanted to hear more and more and more. So then Paul says in verse 46, We now turn to the Gentiles. That your calling in life, the people that you are to interact with and love and have influence with, they've got to be people who like you. They've got to be people who like you. I mean, we are not to annoy people into the gospel message. Who is it in your life that you have a natural connection with? Perhaps people who are not yet followers of Christ, people that you interact with on a, on a regular basis, whether there's the gym or whatever the thing might be. Who do you have interactions with who are perhaps non-Christian, who like you, that you have a natural affinity with? If you can identify a group like that, it's very likely that is part of God's unique calling for you because you can have access to a heart that nobody else can. Paul understood. He said, okay, well, the Jews, they're kind of throwing things at me. I'm not leaning over there right now. Maybe somebody else is going to have impact there. The, the, the Gentiles, I'm turning to the Gentiles. And that was a part of his understanding of his calling. God has an overall plan. He has a big umbrella overall plan. And we're going to be talking about that over the next few weeks. The overall plan of God. And my hope is that as we continue to talk about that, is that you will translate the rest of this conversation to say, yes, that's God's overall plan. Next week we're going to talk about the fact that we're designed to glorify God. We're designed to do that as a part of worship, as a part of how we live our lives. My hope is that through the rest of this journey, for the rest of this year, is that all of these big picture umbrella things, that you'd be able to translate them to say, here's what that means for me in my unique setting, in my, based on my unique personality and all that God's put me into. There's a unique opportunity for our church. There was for Paul. There is for me. There is for you. My hope is that you don't listen to this message, which again, the mission, as I talked about last week, the mission section can be the hardest to connect with because there's a tendency for us to say, yeah, that's maybe a little too serious about spirituality for me. That's, telling other people, that's, that's a league that I'm not interested in. My hope is that you are a, if you are a follower of Christ, if you want to say, I'm one of the 12, I want to be close to Jesus, this would be a part of your journey. This is not an option. Being a fan of Tim Tebow is an option. Being a Republican is an option. Eating at Chick-fil-A is very much an option. Identifying that you have a unique calling, a unique responsibility under the umbrella of God's overall plan is not an option. We're going to take the last 
few moments of our time here this morning. I want to give you the opportunity to just reflect on that, respond to God in whatever way you seem you feel fit. If you're new with us, we have a number of different stations throughout the auditorium here, whereas during the last couple songs, you'll have the opportunity to respond if you'd like. You are absolutely welcome to do that. The different stations are listed in your program if you want to give that a look over the next few minutes. For those of you who are, uh, for whom this is your uh, regular place, would you just give God full attention for these next few moments? I know you want to think about lunch and you have plans and all that. Would you just be, would you just give him everything you've got over these next few moments, these next 10 minutes? Of course, you can just sit where you are, just think, pray, journal, sing, whatever you want to do. But let's give God our full attention. Would you pray with me? God, thank you that you invite us into your mission and, and that it's not just a generic mission. That we are not just mass-produced copies. But that you want to take our insecurities. You want to take our weaknesses. You want to take our, the things that we, are, um, that we feel guilty about from our past. You want to give, you want to take the things that we've been wonderfully blessed with. You want to blend all those things together to use us in a mighty, unique way in your kingdom. I pray that each one here would be as bold as Paul was to say, I now turn to the Gentiles. I don't have to change the world by myself. I need to connect with Jesus and be a part of what he wants to do through my life. God, would you give us clarity, give us courage this morning, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.